And away we go. Welcome, Best Premises. It's Jonathan Honig with you, with the Ayn Rand Center and the Daily Objective. A real interesting show, I think, for you today. Of course, our global conversation occurs not just in the US or in the UK, but across the world. Objectivism is a philosophy for living on Earth. That's what we're discussing as students of objectivism. Monday, I know what you're saying, Monday through Friday. Diane, that would be enough. My God, it's Monday, including Sunday, with so many programs uh, brought to you by the Ayn Rand Center UK, including the Daily Objective. Uh, in this program. So it's great to see the super chatters, the conversationalists, the, the posse, the philosophy posse, as we say, already getting the conversation going. Now, it's an interesting topic today, for me at least. Uh, I live not in jolly old England, but in America, in Chicago, where this story, which has kind of captive, captivated uh, people from politics and people from celebrities, certainly on both sides of the aisle, and that is the Jesse Smollett tale. So we're going to talk a bit about that um, but get into it in this way. First of all, always deferring to your generous contribution on the on the super chat. But getting into it this with this way, do you? Let me ask you, our audience, a question. Do you lie? Do you ever lie? Do you ever tell a lie? Well, of course you probably do. Some interesting research out a couple of years ago that said sixty percent of people lie once during a ten minute conversation, and they tell an average of two to three minute, uh, two to three lies. So when you think about it, this program is about 30 minutes a day. So, I mean, you're looking at at least six lies per host per show, at least according to statistics. But, you know, hopefully we've learned as objectivists and as people who love reason and people who wanna succeed that that's not a real good way to succeed. That's not a real good way to go through life. And so much of it you go back and look at and examine and people think they know Ayn Rand. You know, I challenge them to to, if they've read and understood uh, some of what we're going to get into today. Rand talks about in the Comprachicos that self-esteem is reliance on one's power to think. It cannot be replaced by one's power to deceive. The self-confidence of a scientist and the self-confidence of a con man are not interchangeable states. They do not come from the same psychological universe. And here for me is the money shot. The success of a man who deals with reality augments his self-confidence. The success, the success of a con man augments his panic. And that's what I think of when I think of and imagine, and we'll, we'll get into the specifics, but when I look at the whole Jesse Smollett case, when I look at Jesse Smollett as a man, to the extent I know him as a man, I'm able to observe him, is that I feel a tremendous sense of uh, sadness for him. I think it's a morality tale uh, for us as objectivists about the importance of ideas and the, you know, the, the, the danger of trying to fake reality. And it, it's a kind of, it plays out over and over and over again in front of us time and time again in real time. You know, you need to go back to kind of historical examples. And, you know, this is my words now, this is my estimation is that lying and deceiving are not in your best interests. This is, this is not ran here now. This is, this is a uh, honing. Lying, deceiving, it's, it doesn't work. It's not in your best interests. And in fact, Dr. Brooke, who has talked about this all the time, Dr. Jerome Brooke has said, you know, he did a show years ago about why being honest is selfish. Honesty is selfish in, in life and certainly in interpersonal activities. Um, because when you try to fit, I mean, we'll get into it, but when you fake reality is when you always get into, into the problems. And Rand talks about this. She says, one must never attempt to fake reality in any manner. Um, which is the virtue of honesty. That's from the virtue of selfishness, which I is really one of my, probably my favorite nonfiction X, obviously for understandable reasons. So all of this, the idea of lying and 
it just, it, it's on my brain in relation to, wait for it, Empire. Now, look, I don't watch a lot of TV. The only TV I watch tends to be barbecue cooking competitions. So I can't say I even knew WTF Empire was before this. I, I, I mean, I know shows like Empire are out there. There's a lot of shows. I never, but, and certainly I'd never heard of this man who was on Empire, Jesse Smollett. Uh, that's Jesse pre-trial. He looks a little bit younger, a little bit more full of, uh, you know, piss and vinegar than he does right now. This is Jesse now. You know, he's got to get the, the cross on, you know, because that's, and we're going to talk about that, at least my estimation. It's a, it's a big part of, again, I might be psychologizing here, the psychology of all this is altruism, I think, is a big part of what all this terrible spectacle has been about. It's also about lying and evasion as well. And we're always going to welcome your contributions. Thank you, Mary Aline. Thank you, Allison. Allison says, I don't feel sad for him. He potentially hurt people who are victims of hate for just being who they are. Doing this did nothing but hurt real victims. All right, we're going to, I appreciate that. We'll, we'll, we're going to get into that as well. So thank you for that. Here is Jesse with the cross. And Allison, you know, no one cares more about love, as you'll learn, than Jesse. Truth, eh, take it or leave it. Love, Jesse's got the market cord. So let's take you back. I don't even have to relive the whole thing, but you know, this goes back several years now. And it started, you might remember, not with the MAGA guys jumping him. And, you know, I still am on the hunt for the real assailants. Um, but it started with this basically fake, bar, uh, fake email or fake mail threat, he said to himself. January of uh, 2019, he sent uh, himself or someone sent him, wink, wink, a letter with threatening language laced with a powdery substance investigators believed was likely crushed up Tylenol. So let's use a little Occam's razor for a moment here and assume that was probably Jesse as well. So, you know, he started this. He started, in my estimation, this belief in wanting to evade reality. And it was, it was just gonna be a little something, right? It was just gonna be a little, you know, I can't, I don't wanna take you back to the political wins in 2019, but I believe there was a lot of currency to be had for certainly portraying yourself as a victim in relation to MAGA, in relation to Trump and the politics of the day. So for Jesse, it started with just little, little evasion. And quoting now one of my favorite movies, certainly has nothing to do with objectivism, but as Bud Fox says to himself on Wall Street, in the movie Wall Street, life comes down to a few moments. This is one of them. And I believe for Jesse, this came down to... Uh, and Marilyn, I'm going to get to your question. Marilyn says, do you think what he did is any way comparable to a child misbehaving to get attention, maybe on a much larger scale? I actually think there's more psychology to that. Thank you for the, uh, than just a child, although he's certainly childlike. Um, but he made a decision. This is what Bud Fox says. He made this fundamental decision. Life, life comes down to a few moments. This is one of them. And he made the wrong moral choice. This wasn't, a, wasn't an issue on, on a concrete because he, he chose to evade. And Rand, I believe, I'm quoting out of kind of knowledge here, but she talks about it's, it's a choice. It's a willingness to deceive. And it, uh, this is certainly Jonathan now, not Rand, Miss Rand. It ruins you. It, it, it can't help but ruin you. And Jesse's the best example. On the 29th, now a couple of days later, this is a couple of years ago now. So the powder didn't get much attention. You know, I, I believe he wanted attention. He wanted sympathy, didn't get much attention. So then he... He reported this attack, happened at 2 a.m., two men jumped him, they 
put a rope around his neck. They poured a chemical stem cell. This was the this was the accusation, and um, this is my belief now that he wanted something. He thought he was going to be able to get some sympathy, maybe some attention, some better parts on empire. Uh, you know, a little more cred in these, this world of like being a victim um, if he had been a victim himself. And Rand warns against this. You know, honesty is the recognition of the fact that the real is, the unreal is unreal and can have no value. And here it is, again, my emphasis, neither love nor fame nor cash is a value if obtained by fraud. So he deceived himself in my estimation from the get-go. He said, I'm gonna try to get something through deceit, through evasion. And well, well, how's that working out for you, Jesse? January, the family and, and Jesse is very huff, huffy because, quote, we want to be clear, this was a racial and homophobic hate crime. The family writes in January of 2019, uh, a few months, a few weeks after now, our brother, our beloved son and brother was the victim of a violent, unprovoked attack. And this is continuing now Rand's quote, an attempt to gain a value by deceiving the mind of others is an act of raising your victims to a position higher than reality. You become a pawn of their blindness, a slave of their non-thinking and their evasions. Their intelligence, their rationality, their perceptiveness becomes the enemies that you have to dread and flee. So this is my analysis here now. Jesse thought he was gonna pull one over on us. And what he's done is his victims now, he is a slave to us because he has to perpetuate this evasion. He has to get up and live with this. I mean, this is why I feel terrible for him. Can you imagine having to live like this every day, clinging to unreality? Um, and he, this is what he did. I mean, Rand, of course, didn't know Jussie. My sense is she might have a, I mean, I know she'd have a better evaluation, a, a, a more astute than I, but I think she'd probably have, I mean, I'd love to hear her analysis, but I feel like in many ways, here she's saying it. She warned against this idea of if you're going to try to gain something by deceiving others, you're you're becoming their slave. And you know this is it. And Jesse clung to it, and he clung to it. I think in a really interesting. This is my analysis now again. Tribal way. February first, Mr. Smollett releases his first public statement. Let me start by saying I'm okay. My body is strong, but my soul is stronger. I mean, he's already got the movie of the week playing in his mind. Who's gonna play me? Oh, maybe I'll play me. Quote now, the outpouring of love and support from my village has meant more to me than I'll ever be able to truly put into words. That, that teed me off a little bit now. It's, you know, what he's interested in here is not, I guess, justice for him, justice for Jussie. He wants, he wants to acknowledge the support from his village his village. And altruism just rung through this entire spectacle with me. And this is me applying Miss Rand here, but again, quoting her, quote, is obvious why the morality of altruism is a tribal phenomenon. Prehistorical men were physically unable to survive without clinging to a tribe for leadership and protection against other tribes. So it just seems like there's something about him that he needs to be seen as part of this tribe, important in this tribe. He's acknowledging the tribe. And I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know, I don't think it's racial. I don't know what it is. He kind of speaks a lot in this collectivist language, but um, for him acknowledging, not the police who maybe were working hard to get an assailant or I, I don't know, but acknowledging 
the support of his tribe, the love of his tribe. It, it I think for anyone who's got a little litmus test in his or her mind, um, you know, the more, more altruistic, the more suspicious, I'd say. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll run through the, uh, the, you know, the the timeline and you know how it goes. Dr. Brooke, I remember talked about with um, Breaking Bad that for him, Breaking Bad, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, the show ended when basically uh, whatever, uh, whatever his name is kind of started cooking the meth because you knew it was going to be downhill from then. And that's my, you know, for Jesse, as soon as he made that fundamental choice to evade reality, you knew it was going to be downhill. But I have to say on some level, it's kind of like watching a bit of a, a car wreck in the sense that this is what happens when you evade reality. It, it, it could happen sooner or later, but it's always going to happen. February 2nd, Smollett makes his first appearance on stage. Quote, regardless of what anyone will say, I will only stand for love, tearing up before the beginning of his set. And if you look at his still active uh, Twitter, now, I don't know, I'm not suggesting this, but what do they call it when the Japanese tradition where you kill yourself once you've really made an ass of yourself? I'm not suggesting that for Justin. I'm just saying he goes the other way. He's kind of stands on it, quoting now, I'm simply here to save the world. Nothing is more important than love. Just that it's like his first line is, I am simply here to save the world. It is altruism. His whole shtick is altruism. You know, he's a victim. He's, he's here all about love. He's here to save the world. It just, it's the intersection between altruism and collectivism. It just reeks with Jussie. And I'd love your, your perspective on the, uh, the super chat as well, AKA. February 2nd, he talks to Robin, uh, Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. He said he was heartbroken when he found out that people, oh my God, questioned the details of his story. For me, the main thing was the idea that I somehow switched up my story and somehow maybe I added a little trinket, you know, of the MAGA thing, Smollett said. I didn't need to add anything like that. They called me a effer. They called me a enter. There's no way you cut it. I don't need some MAGA hat as a cherry on top of some racist Sunday. And as usual, there's something about Ayn Rand said that made me think of like, hmm, Rand, again, quoting now, and, and, and I don't know exactly the context. Maybe somebody on the super chat could remind me of, obviously this is from one of Miss Rand's fictions, quote now, she had learned in the slums of her childhood that honest people were never touchy about the matter of being trusted. But you know, from the get, -get go is, oh my God, he's so, oh, you know, he, so touchy about being trusted. So, and as usual, Miss Rand is like a wonderful quote to kind of analyze things that were happening in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and you know, whatever decade we're currently currently in. February 14th, Jesse, it feels like is I've, if I said that I'd been Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters have would have been supported me much more, a lot more, Smollett tells Robert Roberts. Again, I just go back to everything with him. This wasn't even like if you were trying to actually, if he was faking a crime, at least he would play it for the idea that, all right, well, let's try to solve the crime. But for him, this was, I believe, this was always about an altruistic collectivist, um, I don't know, what do they call like masturbation? I don't know, um, uh, virtue signaling. I mean, for him, it was always about that. And I think, again, Rand said, again, quoting, if you believe you have no mind and no moral character, you, can, you cannot have the confidence to make choices. So the only thing for you to do is to join an unchosen group, 
this I think is probably Jesse, this, my analysis. The group to which you were born, the group to which you were predestined to belong by the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient power of your body chemistry. This of course is racism, but if your group is small enough, it will not be called racism, it will be called ethnicity. And in fact, if you look at Jesse's testimony, a lot of what his introduction was talking about his homosexuality, his race, his, his tribe, if you will. So his tribe is, it's all part of his whole self-concept. It's another reason why I feel sorry for him. I don't, I think, again, this is my analysis here, as Ms. Rand said, he doesn't have any sense of himself at all. He's just a, you know, he's a, he's a second-hander uh, in the worst, worst sense. February 16th, obviously now, you know, as they say, tick, 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 the truth is coming out. The two brothers have found out, oh yeah, in fact, Jesse gave us a couple of bucks and um, his lawyers are, oh my God, they're aghast as, victim of, as a victim of a hate crime. And Allison, this is exactly what they're saying. Allison is saying, uh, look, he, he faked the hate crime. He potentially hurt people who are victims of hate. He did it. And because he was claiming to be one as a victim of a hate crime who cooperated with the police, Jesse is angered and devastated. Um, now, of course, but you know, you can't evade reality. You can't evade it. It's gonna get out. It's it's always gonna get out. Um, that's why, in a weird way, the, the QAnon people with the, the conspiracy theories are so fascinating. It's like they actually think that somehow JFK or I guess the sun is still out there just living on a ranch somewhere. I don't know. Um, but it's always a self act of self-annihilation. And Jesse, this is Jesse to a T, again, quoting Ms. Rand, non-thinking is an act of annihilation, a wish to negate existence, an attempt to wipe out reality, but existence exists. Reality is not to be wiped out. It will merely wipe out the wiper. And that is what happened. Jesse, I guess, as I said, you know, for me, it's like basically, basically barbecue pit masters or nothing else, but he was a young star. And of course, he got dropped from the show immediately. I can't imagine anyone really wanting to work with this guy again. Quote, fellow actors were betrayed by Smollett's alleged staging of a hate crime. Surprise, surprise. And it just got worse and worse. Um, it was interesting in May, again, quoting now, and I don't want to go too much on and We don't have to relit. I'm not relitigating. We're just kind of looking at it through this idea of, boy, you make a bad choice when you evade reality. You, you... You're, you know, I mean, Jesse, Jesse said they put a noose around his neck. He put a noose around his neck. He decided to evade reality. So he did it, not anyone else. In May, he was given the chance to settle. This is interesting. You might not know this in the UK. I don't know what happens in the UK. Razi, is it just that they, you have a duel? If there's a, is, there, is there actually a justice system? I'm not sure. Here in the US, in fact, you know, prosecutors, they go back and forth. They say, look, let's settle this. I'm joking, of course, to our, our UK audience. Um, they don't have a duel, they have a drink off, right? Basically, anyway, here in the US, they were wanting to give them a deal. They said, look, you know, we can make this go away, probably do a little community service. Maybe he'd have to pay a few bucks. He was given a get out of jail free card and he passed. I think that is to me probably what's most amazing is that he was so committed to evading reality. He was so committed to this evasion that even when given an opportunity to basically get out with no real long-term consequences, he, I, I, don't, I can't really understand it. He, he was committed to, committed to it and look what happened. So obviously the footage came out, reality came out. As I said, 
This is the process of Ms. Rand talked about wiping out the wiper and proof came out. You know, Dr. Peikoff, you should definitely, we always talk about Ms. Rand and her work. <clears throat> Dr. Peikoff has, I mean, I know it from a lot of the audio courses, audio course after audio course about epistemology, about proof, about all these elements of understanding and comprehension and logic. So avail yourself to those. And he says like proof in the full sense is the process of deriving a conclusion step-by-step step from the evidence of the senses, each step being taken in accordance with the laws of logic. And certainly as evidence came out, more and more perceptual evidence, you had uh, uh, people's testimonies, you had uh, camera footage, you had other types of motion sectors when it comes to um, uh, uh, cell phones, etc. And ultimately we know what happened to Jesse is that you know, he was found rightfully lying uh, over staging this attack. And, you know, what, so it, what started out as just a tiny little lie, just to kind of make himself look cooler in his tribe. You know, I mean, he, they say he wasted $130,000 worth of police resources. I think that's, I think that is unbelievably low. I mean, I, I think that's shocking when you think about it. I mean, these, these law enforcement, I don't begrudge that these gentlemen and women don't make 45 or 50K a year, they make a couple hundred and you've got hundreds of them on this case for years now. Um, Ms. Rand, or this isn't Ms. Rand, but this is Don, who's part of our channel here and part of the Ayn Rand Center UK. He's a great voice in objectivism and he's super wise uh, in, in so many ways. Don said this a couple of years ago, despite the widespread belief that we get ahead through dishonesty, long-term success in life and in business requires an unbending commitment to reality when you engage in dishonesty, you make reality your enemy. And that is exactly what Jesse did. He all of a sudden turned reality into his enemy for no reason. And now the, the last three years have been spent trying to fight reality, convince everyone that A is not A. And um, that's why I say, I feel sorry for him. It's painful to watch. So here's my two cents for what it's worth. See, I try not to waste your time here. I mean, Rucka, he likes to start with that 15 minute intro. I, I'm, I'm from the get right to it category here. So I feel sorry for Jesse. Whether or not he gets jail time or not, he's already in jail. He's probably in a worse jail. I mean, can you imagine like, I mean, think again, he was just gonna evade, he was gonna probably just gonna try to get a better, I don't know, maybe a better write up in some magazine or a little bit better cred on a show about, oh man, hey, yeah, we know you. This. So he wanted to be a second-hander. We didn't even talk about that, but it was all about second-handedness for him. He wanted to look like a victim. And it was just gonna be a little compartmentalized bit of evasion, but it's like, it's poison. It's a little bit of poison. And it, as it often does, it metastasizes and grows. And as Ms. Rand said, it has wiped away the wiper. Um, I just, can you imagine the self-delusion? Uh, my sense is the substance abuse needed for him in whatever it is to get up every day. And even if that substance is uh, uh, faith, which now he's wearing the cross now, so maybe it's all about God, that same type of poison. I mean, I, I just, I cannot imagine having to kind of live with that reality every day and try to, what kind of, what kind of joy can you get out of any element of life knowing that you're living such an amazing lie? People think the liar gains a victory over his victim. What I've learned that a lie is an act of self-abigation because one surrenders one's reality to the person to whom one lies, making that person one's master. Condemning oneself from then on to faking the sort of reality that person is, you requires to be fake. 
The man who lies to the world is the world's slave from then on. There are no white lies. There's only the blackest of destruction and a white lie is the blackest of them all. There's the title of our show today, This Little White Lie, uh, the blackest of them all, certainly for, for Jussie. Now, they say he's not gonna do any real time, according to the New York Post. Um, I think he'd actually probably prefer life in jail. This is another honig contrary take, but there is some evidence to this. You know, you, you might not remember this, some of you are younger, but there was a huge fraud in America, I don't know, was it 15 years ago now, I guess globally, not in America, but Bernie Madoff, the biggest Ponzi schemer in history. He stole basically $60 billion. He could have bought anything he wanted. He had an unlimited bank account. He was never happier than when he was in prison. This is the headline from 2011. He's since passed away, he's deceased. He was never happier than he, when he finally got to prison. And that's my sense with uh, Jussie, is that he is probably only gonna be relieved once he gets to prison. Um, because there are no white lies and you can't fake reality. Now, for more on this topic, you know, we've got a whole library of content here at the Ayn Rand Center UK. I'll do a little self uh, promotion here. I did a not dissimilar program called There Are No White Lies Holden Caulfield uh, a couple of months ago now, because the woman who basically scored the last exclusive interview with uh, JD Salinger did it by lying to him, she felt bad about it all those years. She was haunted by it. She never monetized it. And, you know, again, that, uh, you know, and, and she scored it by lying to Salinger. So it's not good policy. And if you need a better uh, analysis than that, open your People magazine and turn to the section on Jesse Smollett, because that is, as they say, philosophy in action. Thank you for being part of what we do every day, every week. Um, Allison says, I don't feel sad for him. He potentially hurt people. Yeah, I mean, look, he he's a unbelievable scumbag. I guess the, the solace you can take is knowing that he doesn't sleep at night. I don't think he has a still moment. Think about Ms., what Ms. Rand says. I mean, panic is his norm. He lives his life in panic. That sucks. I mean, that is, that's a living hell. And I don't know, even, even if if you've got a great apartment or a lot of money, that is a terrible way to live. And think about Madoff. Madoff was only happy once he went to jail. So I just, this is going to haunt Jesse in, I think, a very appropriate way for the rest of his life. And it's a great lesson for all of us not to evade reality. Thank you, Mary Lean, and thank you all. Um, we're here Monday through Sunday. I don't know. Do we take Shabbat off? I don't know if that's something we do here at the Ayn Rand Center UK. I'm sure there's some programming. What there is is a library of programming, all available for you because we're not building answers on objectivism. We're building a community of objectivism, students of objectivism, learning about objectivism. You'll see some, just some of my collection on the walls. I've been interested in this since I've been a pretty young man. Let's see, I'm 29 now. So da, da, da. let's just say uh, from, the, from the late nineties on, and I'm still a student learning, enjoying, benefiting from some of these great ideas and benefiting with you, our, our, uh, our audience, our philosophy posse. So take this opportunity. We are not a non-for-profit. We are a for-profit. Let me promise you, at least at this point, the profits are pretty, pretty slim. Um, I don't know if they have, uh, you know, a cup of noodles in the UK. In the US, we have cup of noodles, which is kind of a little instant ramen. I know our president and CEO, Razi, is still 
you know, existing primarily on a diet of cup of noodles. So anything you can do to help move him off of that and move us up into bigger events, better events. What you do that by supporting us in the super chats, and you do us that by uh, becoming a relative, a, a regular, regular subscriber on our website as well. So we will see you next week. Madoff, uh, Marilyn points out that Madoff was relieved, not happy. I, I, I think there is a good distinction. He was relieved. I mean, he certainly wasn't happy any time before then. I mean, I think. I didn't prepare too much on it, but I do think he he said he was able to find some values in jail. He was able to like tutor people and, you know, so he actually had a life that was for a few months there, years rooted in reality. And he was, I believe, happier as a, as a, you know, living in jail than he was living in the most expensive, exclusive penthouses because all of that were, were values obtained by fraud. So look, don't read Breitbart, don't read Drudge, go read Miss Rand and Dr. Peacock. They said it all before, and um, as usual, we'll be going back and referencing their wisdom time and time again, learning from each other as well. So thank you again. We will see you next time. We're not going to have a, 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 what is it called? The, the chat thing. The, we're not going to do that today because um, we've got so much else coming up on the channel, including Seth. You know, Seth has been doing the integrating investor, which has been to me one of the more interesting. I mean, it's all interesting, but a real fascinating application of objectivist ideas to, um, you know, to the world of investing, to the world of money management and trading. Seth has had some really fascinating heavy hitters from the investment world, people who aren't necessarily objectivists. So check out his not only final show today, but his his uh, library as well. So we'll see you not this time for Clubhouse. Thank you, Anna. Anne and Christopher and Rob and Allison, thank you all for your support. I see a lot of regular contributors there. We really need that in the new year, however. We're gonna be going back to doing live events and none of us, for the record, are paid to go anywhere by when, when we go do live events in the UK, we do it because, first of all, I like to go and get it shown a good time in the UK by Rozzy, but we wanna go out, we wanna meet you, we wanna build our community. You've got Mark Pellegrino, who's a legitimate movie star. You've got Rucka Rucka Ali, you've got Nikos. I mean, these are kind of, fascinating accomplished people all in their own context going out making it a point to meet you continue this conversation thank you so much jessica bisbee really generous support i absolutely appreciate that i know rosie does dylan everyone who's doing this and, and the whole posse nikos i mean we are students of objectivism we're learning together so um all of that helps as they say keep the lights on and keep them growing i mean think about even in the first couple of years of what we've done with the ayn Rand center uk what rosie has done uh, we've had tremendous live events, huge turnouts, and now as COVID fades and reality reasserts itself, we're going to be at the forefront with you. See you next week and see you next time. Be well.